It's time for the Chip Race. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Chip Race, Ireland's weekly poker podcast. I'm your host David Lappin alongside Darrow Kearney and each week we'll be bringing you the news and more from the Irish and UK poker circuits. Tonight we're joined by musician and poker pro Tom Kitt, tournament director and host of the upcoming Norwegian Poker Championships JP McCann and Scottish Poker Series champion Willie Elliott. We'll also be looking at a specific poker situation in which there is an unexploitable play but it's not the only option available. But first, we all know that the only certainties in life are death and taxes and unfortunately that's now true for Irish poker players who previously shelled out plenty of rake but were not taxed by the Irish government. Last week, Finance Minister Michael Noonan confirmed that new online gambling tax rules have been sent to the country's president to be signed into law. Yes, right. The government here has followed the lead of other um, governments abroad and they've introduced a flat tax on um, gambling and in particular interest, I guess, to poker. It's, it's, it also applies to poker. So as I understand it, it's a flat 1% uh, added to the rake now um, for every game that an Irish player plays. Yeah, I think they call it at the pump, don't they? They, they? they sort of charge you your 1% right there when you buy in. It's not a, it's not taken out of any income you might make from the game. It's not taken out of winnings. It's taken out of the, the, the sort of added onto the reg fee, if you like. Yeah, and, and there's a couple of um, possible unforeseen uh, consequences of this because obviously it means we have to pay tax and that's not necessarily a bad thing in itself. I mean, there's no reason why... Um, Professional poker players should be exempt from tax. Or uh, amateur poker players, for that matter, who will also be paying it. Yeah, well, everybody, everybody's going to pay it. But, um, for example, the British introduced a tax last year, uh, and their tax was a little bit more complicated than ours. It wasn't quite at the pump. It was 15% on revenue. Um, so each side had to work out how much revenue they made from British players and then pay 15% of that um, to the UK government. Now, an unforeseen consequence of that was the French sites decided that this was just too much hassle. So, th- so it was easier just to exclude all the British players from the French side, so they can't play on French stars. Would it have involved uh, like a double taxation for the people playing on French, or would poker stars have had to pay it twice? How would that have worked? Well, there's there's already double taxation because when we pay on French stars, we we pay French tax as well. I mean, we're paying the French have a flat four percent tax, uh, which so every time we play on Winamax or Poker Stars France, in addition to the rake, we're paying those operators, we're paying an extra four percent. Now Irish players will have to pay an extra one percent. So whether those French sites um, are willing to go to the trouble of working out how much that's going to be and and uh, pay that extra for us and, and charge us that extra amount or whether they'll just kick us off remains to be seen. Well, poker players of Ireland, beware. In June of this year, the price of poker will be going up. There's something very special coming up soon. The Vikings are coming. Darrow Kearney, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the Norwegian Poker Championships are coming to City West. Uh, they've been there for the past few years. Because of the legal situation in Norway, they don't play live poker in Norway. So once a year, the Norwegians come somewhere. They came here a few years ago and they liked it so much that they keep coming back every year. Where had they been before? Uh, they were in Dusseldorf one year. I remember the first year that I was playing and I think they were in Riga. Um, and then since then, as far as I know, they've been in Dublin. And uh, we're going to hear a little bit from uh, JP McCann, the uh, the Irish co-host of that event, a bit later on. But uh, what 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 are your impressions of the event as it's been run the last couple of years? Um, it's a very it's a very well run event, but also a very fun event. It's basically a couple of thousand very drunk Norwegians on their annual holiday, the only time of the year they're able to play uh, live poker. So it's all about poker and drinking and banter for them. Um, One uh, of the unique features, actually, of the uh, Norwegians is its 24-hour cash games. So it literally never stops. Is that true? Yeah, that's true because they're all the Norwegians all stay out in City West or in in the surrounding area. So they're pretty much there all the time. And obviously, people have different times that they like to play, but they pretty much play around the clock. 
Um, they have a lot of tournaments uh, that they run during the day as well, so that pulls people in. Um, so some of the tournaments, it has to be said, are Norwegian only, so uh, we can't take part in them, but most of them are open to Irish people as well. And from a player's point of view, what can they expect when they go up to City West? Uh, a room full of very drunk, very friendly, very happy Norwegians uh, who don't have much experience of playing live poker. And is there money to be made? There's definitely money to be made, particularly on the cash tables, I think. Um, one uh, one cash pro whose name I probably shouldn't mention told me that he makes about half of his annual money every year just in that week. Wow, and he, is he putting in 24-hour sessions? Yeah, literally, uh, as long as he can play, he's, he's, at, he's sitting at a table as long as he can stay awake because the games are far more profitable than any, anything else you're going to see in Ireland this year. Well, we'll hear from JP McCann, organiser of that, a little bit later on. Uh, looking forward to that. Now, as I'm sure you all know, poker players are renowned for their ability to sniff out value, but they're also able to smell a rat. Reg fees, much like taxes, are a hot-button issue at the moment, and we're joined now by our good friend, 2013 Scottish Poker Series champion and UK Nottingham final tableist Willie Elliott, who last week put finger to keyboard in a blog entitled The Price of Poker. In it, he drew attention to some of the marketing tricks played by tournament organisers and called for greater transparency when it comes to reg fees and guaranteed prize pools. Willie, you used the phrase, uh, any attempt to hide the true price is angle shooting. You you made it analogous to a, a dealer or a, or a player refusing to tell you the, the amount of chips he had in his stack. Explain that to me. Well, it, I think anything you're engaging in a transaction, things should be transparent. You should know what you're paying for and you should know the price of the thing that you're paying for. Um, obviously, the WPT and the UKPC are the ones I highlight in the blog, and we have a, one, a straight 1,000 buy-in, and we, we don't see what the rake is. We don't see what the tournament registration fee is. As it turns out, it's, it's bigger than the 10% you would maybe normally expect. Will you mentioned that the asterisk that is used by a lot of these tournament organisers to hide some of the extra reg being paid, is that fair? Is that fair on the players? It's difficult. A, a friend of mine's contacted uh, the, the tour that, that, that does that and the answer they got back was, it's not rake, it's it's different. It's I, I don't see what that difference is. I can't see that difference. Is it up so to the players to pay the wages of the staff or should that be coming out of the organisers' money? I, th- I think it should be, we should see it as one whole sum and we should see, therefore, what the rake is. And, and be able to make a decision based on whether that's a good value tournament for us or not. So this is fudging by a tournament organiser. They should just be honest and say it's 13% rake or 14% it, it, rake. It's, it's a, again, part of the, the lack of transparency that I'm seeing in uh, the pricing. We don't get to see the price. Uh, they, ha- they are deliberately hiding it from us. And in terms of um, overlays, you mentioned on your blog that marketing often makes it appear um, there are overlays when, when you look at the detail, it turns out the overlay isn't really there. Yeah, I mean, the, obviously the example of the recent Dassel Dawn tournament's one million guarantee. Only 900,000 was going to be getting paid out. The real guarantee was 900,000 because of the way they were raking it. So, um, again, just not transparent, not not completely honest about what we're playing for. But to balance things up, do you think these tournament organisers in an effort to promote the game, you know, I agree that maybe there's some marketing tactics going on here and maybe the lack of transparency is a concern. But if they are going to put up a guarantee like a million quid, you know, should we not be giving them a little bit of leeway? I I, I, I do. I mean, I've I've got, I guess I'm asked, that's a fantastic card room that I have at Dustle Dawn. That's the place I would want to play poker more than anywhere else. That's the place you made all your money, Willie. It, it was it was it was a it was a good it was a good venue for me. I can't complain. But I think the there has to be transparency. We have to see the numbers up front 
and be able to make a, a an informed decision. You know, it's poker's a game of incomplete information, but that's what it costs us, us to play. Isn't what should be incomplete. You know, what we're playing for shouldn't be incomplete. We should know these numbers. It is a little bit sneaky. Uh, and and another thing you pointed out was that uh, say that the last event, the WPT in Dust Till Dawn, there was a series of events held over the week where the smaller buy-in as part of the prize pool was a, a seat to the next level buy-in, to the next level buy-in again with another tournament. Um, yes. and, and you felt that there was something very unfair about people being forced into a higher buy-in tournament as part of the prize pool that they'd, they'd, they'd contributed cash to. The, the, it's a, the trend for included seats, it's something that um, I spotted in Edinburgh last year at a tournament that was being launched and 12% of the prize pool was going to be getting taken out. And uh, for for another event, sure. But the Dust Till Dawn are trying to put a pretty su- substantial guarantee on a tournament like this. Do, is there any part of you that sees the the other side of things, the the organizer side, and thinks, well, maybe you know they have to create this sort of tiered step structure in order to you know be able to put these kind of guarantees into the marketplace and create a bit of buzz around the tournament? It's it is, it's it's difficult because I, I'm I'm all for the big guarantees. I think they get the. These million pound prize pools are fantastic. I think that attracts lots of players and attracts lots of interest. Well, listen, thank you very much, Willie Ellis. Some really interesting points there. I think it's always good to have a watchdog out there looking out for the, for the players, looking out for um, these sort of maybe marketing strategies of the organisers who, you know, I'm sure in good faith are trying to put on good tournaments, but maybe, maybe we'd like to see them be a little bit more transparent in the future. Thank you very much, Willie. Thanks, Willie. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Chip Race would love to hear from you. Get in touch via Twitter at The Chip Race and find us on Facebook. Some big news, both online and live last week. One story involving our very own Darrow Kearney, which I hope doesn't make the cut. Over to Dara Davey for the news. Yes, unfortunately, it will make the cut, starting with very own Darrow Kearney claiming his fourth Pocket Fives Triple Crown, winning the PokerStars $27 KO, the Purdy Poker 10K Turbo, and the Full Tilt 10K Guarantee for a combined $9,600 and a lot of bragging rights. Yesterday was a massive day for online poker with FTOPS 28 starting and Pokestars commemorating the nine-year anniversary of the Sunday Million with a whopping nine million guaranteed version of their weekly flagship tournament. Once registration had closed, an unbelievable 50,432 people had found their way into the tournament for $215 a pop to create a total prize pool of just over $10 million, with one million of that going to the winner. Two Irish players made massively deep runs through the event, with Mark McDonald and Evie for the Glory OMC finishing in 27th and 24th places respectively, each cashing for $25,000. In the end, with such absurd amount of money at stake for the top seven players, they all agreed to a deal, netting them each between $330,000 to $600,000 for the eventual winner, Brayden93. Other select results for Irish players in other tournaments featured Kamal Singh dropping the massive field Bigger 11 for three-handed for $16,800, Sean Hegarty and Daniel Tighe finishing in 10th and 6th places for $5,000 and $22,800 respectively in the Sunday 500. And Dan Wilson continuing his complete domination of online poker right now by finishing 3rd in FTOPS Event 2 for $30,000, following up his Sunday 500 heads-up chop last Sunday for $58,000. The Galway man is now looking like he will take the number one spot in Ireland for the first time on the Pocket Fives online rankings, as a result breaking up the dominant trio of Kevin Colleen, Jude Ainsworth and John Daly, who have controlled the top three spots for several months. And finally, on the live front, Paul Kerr has continued his massive start to 2015 by finishing second in the Mega Merch 50,000 guarantee for €8,000 in the Green Eye Hotel, just losing out to Troy Prendergast heads up in the 514 player field. 
Paul, after winning the Irish Poker Championship in Galway and the European Deep Stack 300 side event, now has a very healthy lead on top of the Irish Poker rankings. Dara, as much as I would love to gloss over it, we have to talk about Darrow Kearney and his, and his fourth triple crown. Unfortunately. This triple crown business, it's, it's not any small achievement, is it? People don't do these too often. Uh, it is really difficult to do. Um, for those of you not aware, a Triple Crown is winning three tournaments in a seven-day period online, all of which must have 100 players and a minimum prize pool of $10,000. So it can't be any small tournament and it can't be any no-runner tournament. And and I'm right in saying Dara has the most number of these of any Irish person now? By a decent gap. I think Kevin Colleen has two and there's probably six guys by my count, sorry if that's wrong, who have one. Wow. And in my own sadness, I've lost heads up for one three times at this point and oh. still still don't have one. And what about that Sunday Million? Stupid field. 50,000 people. I, I don't know how Poker stars manage to do it every time they, they they put these kind of guarantees on something. They everyone thinks there's going to be a big overlay, and there just isn't. It's they are the king of marketing. It is staggering to think that the normal Sunday Million gets just over seven thousand people, and they've times that by over seven. Again. And, and seven thousand people is a huge field. It's one of the biggest fields of the week. You would kind of think with the player pool, it would be there would be a cap to the amount of people who can fork out $215 to play an online poker tournament for 15 hours or however long it lasts, but clearly there isn't. Yeah, <laughs> it's no. amazing. Incredible run from our good friend Mark McDonald. Uh, later on, we have Tom Kidd in the studio, and Tom was actually grinding with Mark all the way through this. Tom himself had a deep run coming 28th in the warm-up uh, on the iPad sitting beside Mark, who must have been grinding until about 7 or 8 a.m. Got wrenching for both the lads. That's still very impressive results, particularly for Mark. I mean, 25,000 is usually a final table cap of the millie. Yeah, it still feels like a crossbar though. It's a huge crossbar, but yeah, it's still a good I think Merck will be happy enough, but still ruining what could have been I suppose. What could have been. It could have completed the game as his friend um, used to say. Uh, <laughs> Ross Johnson's great phrase was that it was like when you when, when you, when you, uh, when you get down to the final table of the Sunday Million or something like that, it's like playing Bowser at the end of Donkey Kong or yeah, at the end of Mario or something. Final, final boss. And Dan Wilson, the Sunday 500, it's, it's sort of the extra major now on a Sunday. It's one of the really big buy-ins um, and big fields uh, usually gets about 70 or 80k up top. Incredible achievement to chop that. Amazing. Um, the stand of that tournament particularly is so tough. You are pretty much playing the seven to 800 elite players of the world. Wow. Um, there would obviously be a lot of sac- satellite and recreational players, but at the same time, it is compared to something like the Sunday Million, which is thousands upon thousands of recreational to people taking a shot type thing. I think the Sunday 500 is kind of the more elite It's a denser test. field. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And as if that wasn't enough, he follows it up this week, uh, taking on the F-Tops Event 2, 500 event, and ends up coming third. Very unlucky not to get heads up, at least. Uh, there was a lot of laddering going on in that final table. Oh, it was incredibly unlucky for Dan, actually, because um, he entered with a massive chip lead and all the short stacks, while some of them fell, others just kept surviving and it looked like Dan would at least get second. So I Yeah, think it, was, it was it was total carnage at the beginning. It was just like, first 20 hands, I think they must have knocked out four people. Dan was just enjoying staying in second place. Everyone else was laddering beyond him. But then when he got three-handed, there was one very short stack. There was nothing he could really do. The uh, big stack opens uh, nines on the button and Dan reshipped in sixes for like 18 bigs he, he can't turn down that spot absolutely not and I'm sure he's a bit disappointed but at the same time I believe 88,000 in cashes over two Sundays is pretty spectacular yeah, yeah, I don't think he'd be too upset <laughs> not at all and Paul Carr he's unstoppable just unstoppable at the moment 
um, Paul would be a scary man to sit at the table with right now. Yeah, <laughs> he, I don't he know. He literally cannot stop winning. Yeah, he, he did credit now when I saw him last week, he credited some improvement to his game to the, the, the trio of Weish, um, Paul Delaney and uh, who's the other guy in their crew? Dan, Darren Gold. Dan Rankin. Dan Rankin, yeah. Just talking a lot of poker with those guys, describing hands, really trying to you know get into the mindset of what the, the online guys are doing these days. Clearly, it's all working. It's incredible. Um, Paul, again, has had a... He's had some some results scattered in there, but a barren year or two, and it's a just barren an year am- or two since the Irish Open, though. Yes, absolutely. Which obviously is like a half million score. Let's, let's yeah, not that, gloss that, over that. that. Yeah, he's due a two-year barren streak if he's going to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll happily take the half million score and a bit of a barren streak yeah. anytime. But, but yeah, the, Paul's results have been amazing recently. It's such consistency as well. Such consistency in a three-month period to put those three results together make himself almost impossible to catch now in the rankings. Yeah, like someone is going to have to do some serious work because if. Paul plays the entire circuit and will keep cashing events as well. So it's looking pretty great. Maybe he'll for stop cashing else. events. Maybe he'll give the rest of us a chance. <laughs> maybe, anyway, maybe. Anyway, thank you very much for that, Dara Davy. Thank you. Next up, we're joined by owner and manager of the Village Green Card Club in Tala, JP McCann. JP, the Norwegian Poker Championship kicks off this Friday in City West. How much planning goes into an event of this magnitude? And how do you balance the workload required for it with the needs of your own card club? Uh, hey Dave, hey there. Uh, well, we start the planning with this pretty much straight away. Um, we kind of do the the gentle kind of stuff, which is the schedule and um, confirm the hotel last summer. But then the more intensive stuff, like staffing and stuff like that, um, will start from October. So, just six months, I suppose. Yeah, and are you all ready to go now? Yeah, well, we're here now setting up, so... Um, We've got four or five days ahead of us of getting equipment in and piping Drake, making the room look nice and good. So Cam before the storm. Uh, exactly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we don't just we don't just arrive into a nice room with tables set up for us, so this is the the bit that people don't see. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And JP, it's a really packed schedule with a a lot of events. What are the highlights A for the Norwegians who are coming and B for the Irish players? And well obviously the main event for the Norwegians, um, Last year, I think we had 1,260-plus players. And it's an event that's grown year on year out for the last 12 years, which I think is is a record. It's the only event uh, worldwide that's done that. So that's that's the highlight for certainly all the the recreational players and the guys in in Norway who just want to come and have a game and have some fun. For the, the pros and the serious players, the horse event has been the one that they really wanted to win or the PLO for the last few years. Now, this year, we've taken the horse event off and made it a mixed eight game. So, we're expecting an increase in that in that event. Um, it's almost like a player's throw, championship, is it? Exactly, yeah. Throw actually was the runner-up in the horse event last year, which would have been great as the, as the organiser of the event himself. It would have been fantastic if he had a one one of the titles. Um, but uh, it wasn't to be. He was beating heads up. And what about the Irish? Um, well, the Irish, is, there's, there's a number of events there. The high roller last year proved to be successful. We moved the date uh, to the Tuesday before the main event kicked off. Uh, 2000 high roller, and we got uh, 32 players. The previous year, we held it on, uh, I believe it was day two of the main event. It uh, just didn't work. I think we got seven or eight players, so that didn't work. Uh, beyond that, uh, we have the Jacob Poker Masters, which is on Friday, the 27th. And we have three or four 358 max tournaments which uh, got huge fields last year. I feel like they got 300 players plus. Yeah. Uh, then we have a number of fun tournaments, like we have a 
the open-faced Chinese, Bing Lao, and in between these. So they're all... Yeah, there's loads, loads of variety there. Uh, one question I have to ask, the Norwegians are obviously well known for their, their fun, sometimes even rowdy antics at the table. You're an experienced floor manager as well. How do you judge what's good-natured from what crosses the line with those guys? To be honest with you, this is my sixth year with them, and I haven't had a situation that we haven't, we've had a major problem with. They've, they're all, as you said, good-natured guys there, you don't see the angle shooting that you might see at other events. Um, it really is a kind of a special event on its own compared to every other term that I, I've uh, I've worked at. Um, so I haven't had a problem like that. And it's the kind of thing, if they're getting a little bit messy, you say to them and straight away they, they change. You know, that's the way. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a pretty unique atmosphere, all right. Before we let you go, JP, there is one thing we have to ask you. Uh, your suit got a lot of attention last year. Um, can we expect another bold one this year? Uh, can, <laughs> can we expect something in the same vein? We picked up another suit. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a Norwegian suit. It's from uh, Moods of Norway. Yeah. You say oh, we. Uh, do you have a fashion team? Is there like a number of people you have just to, who make these decisions for you each day? No, actually, my fashion sense probably isn't too good. But uh, yeah, I picked up another suit. I was over there last February, every last month, um, and I picked up another suit. It's not as funky as last year's one, but it's funky enough. Okay, well, listen, thank you so much for, for joining us. I really hope that it's a success. I know I'll be out there most of the days. Looking forward to it. All right, guys, going to see you during the week. Cheers. Thanks, JP. Hey, and I'm back with Darrow Kearney. Uh, we're going to talk a little strategy. Uh, Ace 2 suited on the button, 12 big blinds. Is it wrong to shove? No, it's never a mistake to shove. I mean, if you shove ace two suited um, with that stack, there's basically three things which can happen. First, the two blinds can fold, which is obviously good for you. You pick up the blinds and antes if there are antes. Uh, the second thing that can happen is you get called, um, and usually when you're called, you're called by a better hand, but you can still suck out, so you'll you'll, you'll get a double up. And then the third thing that can happen is you'll, you'll, you'll get called and lose. Now, of those three things, the only bad thing that happens is when you get called and lose, and that's often what people focus on. You know, they'll shove ace two suited 14 or 15 times, they'll get called once and they'll lose, and, and they'll think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But the the profitability of the play comes from the all the times that people fold, and then occasionally when you suck out. Okay, so it's unexploitable to, to shove all in there. It's what you probably do as a default, but would you ever decide I'm going to do something different? Yeah, I mean, if you think that you're up against players in the blinds who are only going to continue with stronger hands. Um, so if I'm on the button and I kn- I've got two uh, very tight players behind me and I know they probably need ace 10 or better or maybe a pair above sevens, um, and whether I shove or whether I raise normally, they're going to continue with the same range of hands. Then, when if, then if I make a normal raise, I'm still getting the benefit of the folding when they don't have a strong hand. But then when they do have a strong hand, which crushes me, and, and they re-raise or, uh, or shove all in, I can actually fold and get away from that situation. So that makes it a more profitable play um, because I'm exploiting their tendency to be too tight. Okay, so two different routes uh, to go by, the unexploitable route and then obviously diverging from what's unexploitable to what might actually work out better in the in the against specific opponents. Yeah, and the final point I would make about the exploit the, the the route where you're exploiting the opponents is that it does open you to exploitation yourself because if you think that the players are only going to shove ace 10 or better, but they're actually going to shove king queen, king jack, jack 10 suited when you make a normal raise which they would fold when you shove, then you're getting exploited. Okay, so, and, and, and again, smart players, we want to avoid that. So in those situations, ace two suited, all in, 
let's yeah. take our chances yeah it's, it's, never, it's never wrong great well 2014 was a big year for our third and final guest tonight he won the Winamax Poker Open for 75,000 back in September but before we get him in here uh, to reveal the secrets of his success I'd like to play a song from his 2008 album Kit Happens this is I Ain't Coming Home Tonight by Tom Kit. Bruise on my face and a cut on my lip And a lump on the back of my head that don't feel so right You know the blood on your guitar ain't the same as the blood on your knuckle After you've been in a fight If you saw me now you'd probably get an awful fright that's why, baby, I ain't coming home tonight Oh, you women can tell me just about anything you want to tell me There's one thing I know for sure There ain't nothing more unattractive to a woman Than a man that's insecure You need a man with confidence just in case you want to hold him tight that's why, baby, I ain't coming home tonight I ain't coming home tonight Cause I lost all my money on poker You know I got so drunk That I thought my jack was a joker And the girl at the end of the bar You know I shouldn't have spoke to her But I'm searching out for something that I can't find It's probably all in my mind Looking for the wrong things in the wrong places Trying to make shit right And that's why, baby, I ain't coming home tonight Whenever you don't like what I'm doing or I'm looking You just come up to me and make things clear See, that's the difference between me and you, baby I think honesty's my biggest fear When I say I love you, it still means I love you So let's not have a fight It just means, baby, I ain't coming home tonight I ain't coming home tonight Cause I lost all my money on poker You know I got so drunk that I thought my jack was a joker And the girl at the end of the bar, you know I shouldn't have spoke to her Searching out for something that I can't find It's probably all in my mind Looking for the wrong things in the wrong places Trying to make shit right And that's why, baby, I ain't coming home tonight And that's why, baby, I ain't coming home tonight So, first things first, Tom, I'm curious How apoplectic drunk did you have to be to think your Jack was a joker? Oh yes, well you know, have you ever been in the jackpot? <laughs> I thought it was from the jackpot. That was my guess actually. That you were, it was like all based on Montague Street. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was. Yeah, it was kind of. Yeah, just those feelings. You know, it's like it's a tiny reference to song of the poker, but it's essentially. What was I, I was trying to think of the song? Yeah, I ain't coming home tonight. It's. Uh, you it's, wrote it, Tom. You must remember the song. Yeah, it's it's all about those insecurities you have and those mess up things that you have. You don't want to face your woman afterwards, you know. So it's like the girl you're going out with, all those reasons why you wouldn't go home. You know, you got too drunk. You 
lost all your money, you're feeling insecure, you know. So all and those. were there bad nights? There were a lot of bad nights like that back in the oh, day. Oh no, not at all. I wrote a lot of uh, songs. Who were they really about? Were you just yeah, yourself in the character? That's, that's of some the of thing. Your actually, I wrote I wrote a lot of songs about the fear of becoming the 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 sure. gambler, you know, <laughs> and like so. But like you would have the odd night night like that. Often when you're like a little drunk or something like that and you did something stupid and it's the feeling the next day, the guilt or whatever. So I, I did write songs about don't ever become that guy. You know? yeah. So it was like, you know, the worst case scenario and I'm playing the character. <laughs> okay. And what year did you start in poker? I started... I, I think you're, you're here longer than Dara and I. Yeah, I'm pretty, you, I'm pretty sure you were playing in the sporting bef- around the time I started already. Yeah. So. As in, yeah, like as in my path was, you know kind of a disjointed one <laughs> like I was I was working in IT at the time and uh, I was definitely like okay you know as in I was the one who won at the family games you know and then I was the one who won in work we used to play every uh, lunchtime in the boardroom and like we, had, we even had this weird rule where you had like if you had one chip left <laughs> you still got all the pot <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah. nice I like that rule <laughs> I made it up you know so I was already looking for edges then and uh, they stopped that rule and then, you know, the pub game down the coach house, you know, I think I was like, I won it like five weeks in a row, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's been like that dude in JP's game or something, you know, yeah, he's yeah, done yeah, some, yeah. and uh, like, obviously, whatever, running good. But one thing I was good, because I didn't know what I was doing, you know, but I was really good at knowing the tendencies of the other guys who really didn't know what they were doing, you know, so like, you know, there was this guy, Mr. Fox. He just told you what he had every time. And this guy would never, you know what I mean? This guy would never fold. And, but and it's even, all coming from that life background. Like That's clearly the yeah. core of it is that you were, it was picking up on guys across the, 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 the table in work. Yeah, oh yeah, it totally, yeah. And then like, as in then it was like, you know, venturing into the sports. And when you're playing music then, because like, you know, we got the redundancy in work and I don't even remember that SSIA. So I yeah, thought I was yeah. like real invincible. Hey, I'm going to create an album, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like just I'd say burn everything. I'd say SSIA schemes were burnt over the years. Yeah, so like, you know, obviously good crack but I didn't know what I was doing in that sense either and then like when you kind of finish promoting an album you know and I did this big gig in Whelan's it was great crack and I was like oh what am I supposed to do now and like it's tough flogging something you know when you kind of when it's peaked at certain things and then you know if things aren't happening and then it's like alright well I gotta go write another album that'll take ages and a lot of spare time so yeah and then I started venturing into the sports you know uh, on my own and like oh my god like the thrill of it all like I was I remember like like Get just you know, first of all, not doing well at all, you know, being totally intimidated, and then like getting to my first final table and doing something. I think I remember it was like I had a six of diamonds, which is actually my exit hand last night, <laughs> and, and uh, I, I'm making a mistake with it, and then going home and like literally not sleeping, like you know, ten hours rolling around in the bed, just haunted, yeah, you know, haunted by like whatever it is. And so obviously, whatever that is, that scars your brain into some sort of experience. Yeah. So like you know, and then and then also the whole like the heart rate for the whole night when you're there, um, you know, keeping you going and thinking about it. And so you're kind of obsessed with it, you know. And I was like, so that and then that and then that and so an obsession becoming a, you know, I guess a hobby. And then did play cash for a while and like started making a few quid. And were you bouncing with the music at the same time? Yeah, it was kind of you know I was starting to do a bit more of the poker because uh, like as I said earlier on the music thing. You know, I'd already done this kind of little tour and this big gig. So then I was I was getting a little bit like, oh, what do I do now? And I, I like nothing was really happening in the music. So I felt, I felt like I was kind of annoying people a bit. I don't know. It's I don't know if you can get like that. Uh, and but then I just started this, this whole live tournament thing came around, you know, so it's like, all right, I would play going to play one big festival, you know, and get there. Can't get past day one. You know, I was like, how do I do it? Like, I remember I said um, at the Irish Open, I uh, 
I just sat there like looking at guys on day two, <laughs> you know, for the whole day, you know. So I like I got knocked out or something, and uh, and I just looked at them and I said, "All right, what's going on?" Because I didn't know what happened in day two. <laughs> you know, what, what, what I was do? just obsessed Anties. to making a day two. You know, it's like and then I and then I just started and then I just kind of went on a few runs back in the day, and I was still really inexperienced. I think Doker's that one, my first final table. That was my first day three, and that was like the worst I've ever played in my life. You know, just totally lost the head. And I had all the chips because I just went on a big run, you know, and I was playing like a maniac as well because it was great crack. When you're running good and you're like, I was just like, just, just raise every hand, whatever. But like, then I was like, whenever anyone, it was a good structure tournament. So anyone like clever like oh, was just waiting for aces against me. Sure. And I was just sticking in fours or whatever. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I came fifth in that. And then I had a good run in the, I don't know, I'm going to go on a bit. But like it was basically every stage I was just trying to get, got to get to that stage, got to that stage. And then I was really looking for the And what win, year right? are we in now? Like what, what year are you yeah, thinking so to just, yourself, I'm doing it, this is my living now or this is my oh, job I don't know if I ever now. thought about it as living because like first of all, I didn't think I was that good because I was never really beaten online. I was, so I knew there was a lot of fundamental problems because I'd kind of skipped a lot of that stage. I'd kind of gone through this organic, livey route. Yeah, well, so a lot of I people knew, go that way. Yeah, so I knew I wasn't this big student of the game. And I could even tell by talking to a lot of people like, I remember even Chubbs at the time, even Rory Brown at the time, Seamus Cahill. Like, I knew they'd put a bit more work in on the study side where I was, you know, so, but then I was just gradually trying to patch up those things as I went along. And then I think it was more a case of when I was actually thinking, you know, it's getting really serious about my girlfriend, fiance now. And it was like a year or two ago, and I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I need a career. And I was thinking, oh, crap, it's actually going to be a bit harder here, like, because of all this gap, you know, this big music gap and now yeah. this gambling gap. What were gap. you doing in this period yeah, of your so life? Yeah, so I was like, all right, I've got to take this even more seriously. And then I really knuckled down a bit more, just trying to at least beat, like, low to mid stakes online. So I just bring home some bacon. And then the live thing, just getting better and better at the live thing, just from the experience. Yeah, well, look, the, the, the live, um, you know, you've been playing for a long time but it's definitely over the last two years that you've had this uptick you know you've had these kind of bigger results there was a big one in Vegas there was a big one um, the Celtic Poker Tour I know it was a couple of years ago as well but it's been since then that these live results have been yeah they were like you know I suppose the UK IBT final table was the first one and uh, against Max Silver you know um, and uh, Ronan Gilligan they were the three guys uh, there at the last stage of that one and then yeah, but then there was kind of a bit of a gap, you know? Yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to rely on these scores. So then I kind of fixed up a bit of the online stuff. And, uh, yeah, CBT. But then CBT led to Vegas straight after. And I was like, I brought over whatever. Like, sold a lot. I was always, always selling to the GOAT. And, um, <laughs> yeah, like, he's always... Been, I, when I met yeah. the GOAT, it was probably one of the biggest things. You know, like, early on, like, it would be Rory Brown was the guy who taught me a lot of stuff, you know? And all those guys in the sports. Seamus Cahill was, I sat beside him in cash games for ages, you know, and he was, he was he's an amazing a brilliant player. player. Brilliant player. Like, I learned loads from him. And uh, then the GOAT was really like, I think the GOAT just kind of figured out, like, I was talking about stuff, and I don't know if I articulate it as well as some other guys, but he just kind of knew what was going on, like, uh, that I kind of knew the crack yeah. of the, that style of game. So, as in, and I just learned lots from him. And then from him, like, the only thing about when you're the GOAT, then you can be a bit more swingy, like, in terms of how you play. But uh, he's on top of the game, you know what I mean? In terms oh, Sean, of Sean is just he's so solid on the theory. Like, he's the one guy who... He's just who, his answer. He answers so quickly, you yeah, know? Yeah, and he's been, around, <laughs> he's been around for so long. He's probably around, like, 13, 14 years. Well, Sean, well, when, I, when I came on the scene, uh, Sean was already probably, you know, one of the top three players in Ireland at that stage. Uh, he's just been around forever, it seems. And he's remained totally current as well all through that time, uh, both online and live. Yeah, yeah. no, he's, he's just he's willing... To not be set in his ways, I think, you know? So he's yeah, willing he's to handle the trends in the game. And like within, you know, there's a structure, 
you know, we're bound by structure in MTTs. So sure. you have to go through trends, you know, often, as opposed to like, you know, theory just going to go out the window, like to the river. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also the thing is, you have a reputation as a bit of a closer. Like I was looking at your hand and mob and it's actually a bit weird because I think three quarters of the tournaments you've played, you final table, or sorry, of the tournaments you've cashed, you final tabled. And of them, a quarter of the tournaments you've cashed in, you've won. Right, that's an insane yeah. didn't even know that that's <laughs> an insane closing rate like do, do you find that when you get short handed that's when you, your game comes yeah, into I don't its know, own like, cause I, you know because I didn't do it there recently you know in the deep stack and uh, you know there was a couple of problems I, maybe back to that whole thing that you know that regret you know so when I don't do it I mull over it big time, you know? Like, mm. I, I, no, don't get me wrong. It's like, I won't mull over some variance problem. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, if you're getting lucky, you're getting lucky. But if there was something that was in my control, and there are a lot of things in your control, you know, like huge big merge spots. You know what I mean? When you're, you just have a bit of showdown and like you can maybe just merge a big shove in the river and get this massive momentum. You know what I mean? Like, like putting the pressure on. Like in that six-handed tournament, I got the chip lead with 72 out and mm. I just went bananas. Because yeah, well, the, the key <laughs> to those six-handed games is you can't, play hands you have to actually play garbage all, oh, all yeah. week so, so like you're really tested on your five handed so often as well and it's like even the best players just are because it's like when you've got the chips it's just your time to pound like you know and good players recognise that they're not going to go just take if they've got the awkward stack they've got like you know I'll fold for hours on end if I've got the awkward stack and I, like so in, like so in a couple of those like after not doing it in certain tournaments because I was pretty good also, you know, I gotta realize I'm always like it's like mid low to mid stakes as well. Like I've never done anything big on over like a one k buy in, so it's definitely something to do with playing the amateur players that I'm good at. Like mm. in and terms the French of, players, maybe yeah, well. the maybe, French maybe players. specifically Just those, those French. Guys. I think it's more the, the, those guys who have that emotion because I think I have all those emotions because you know I'm more of a songwriter really than a kind of a robot, so I kind of recognize. You know, their poetic selves. They're, how they're, to, how where they exploit them. Yeah, 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 I know it's terrible. <laughs> you know, well, maybe, but who knows? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I guess the French are particularly expressive. Uh, <laughs> they don't really see it as a virtue to bottle up their emotions. Um, in terms of like my my perception of you, Tom, is like you've obviously been around for a long time, and I remember at, at the start of your career, you were the kind of guy that people would say you would have a huge stack. And then maybe two or three tables out, it will go wrong. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely changed in the last couple of years, um, particularly in the D4 events. Uh, do you think that's down to the improvements that you mentioned that you put into your game? Or do you think variance is a bigger factor? No, definitely. I think it's definitely to do with uh, improvements and like uh, experience, you know, when you get like essentially now, now, now I come into like a final table bubble situation or a shorthand situation and I go, all right, well, that guy over there, I remember I was him, and he's about to do what I did three years ago, you know? And, like, you get you get this at the mid low to mid stakes. Like, I know it's high stakes, but you know what I mean? You mightn't get it at a higher stakes tournament, so then you really have to kind of take on guys, and, like, maybe I'll fail there. But I notice that where I've made the big mistakes, like, let's say in some of the big ones, final tables I made are like that. I remember that, uh, the Ladbrokes one, you know, when I had mm, the chip lead that, there. That, and that one sticks out. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, I got it in with a big flush draw, <laughs> blind on blind. And, uh, you know, I was in bed for two days, <laughs> like, you know, thinking about it. So, like, obviously, obviously that's a horrible experience. But then the aftermath is when you get there, you get that chance again, you do have the experience. Like, they say yeah. it's so big in other sports, so it has to be yeah. big. And know? what's next, uh, Vegas? Uh, for me, um, you know, well, it's in loads. It's great crack, actually, at the moment. I'm grinding away. I'm living in Galway. I was so worried that no internet would have a little 4G on my phone. Hotspot's working perfectly. <laughs> so I'm putting the head down, just grinding out, like just massive volume, low to mid stakes. Uh, Norwegian going to play the Connacht Open, going to play the Norwegian Masters, going to play the Irish Open, hopefully, <laughs> and uh, whatever else is going. And then Vegas for one month. 
One month. Yeah, okay, great. Do you have your accommodation all sorted? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Pam's place. Nice. Ten of us in the studio. Probably seems to be the same this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah no, but don't get me wrong. I was thinking about you laughing because, like, because, uh, like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm like, I, I, as I say to go, I don't do makeup because I can't afford to do makeup. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I was, I've been ticking over nicely there the last few months, paying some bills, you know. Yeah, yeah. And like, as I know, you've all written a few blogs about like. You know, because you go to Vegas. The problem, the worst thing about live trips is if it doesn't work out, you've got like 10k makeup or 10k to work off. Yeah, you, you got, know, you're, you're giving up the next three months. Yeah, maybe, exactly. Of 90 percent of worlds. Yeah, of bills. You know, yeah, yeah. which is now. Well, uh, it, it, it's well known in the Irish poker scene that I always stay home and grind. Oh, I know. I was like, everyone's I was, away. I was really freaking out, and I was actually thinking like, because I've I've had that like I've had a bad Australian trip, I've had a bad Vegas trip, and I've come back. And I'm, oh. Okay, Tom. <laughs> so, before you go, we have a little uh, pop quiz. All right. Poker trivia in general, and maybe some specifically Tom Kit trivia in general. Oh, uh, what famous <laughs> event took place on the day that Poker Stars launched? I'm going to have to hurry you. Oh, Jesus. I don't know. The first ever Sunday Million? <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it probably was, <laughs> but uh, uh, no, September the 11th, 2001. Oh, right. Jeez. Okay. Which member of the Hendon Mob has won the Irish Open? Which member of the Hendon Mob? Uh, Roland the Wolf? Oh. I'm afraid he's not a member of the Hendon Oh, Mob. shit. Well, oh, yeah. Barney Go on, Bowman. we'll give you... Barney Bowman? No, it was Joe Beavers in 2003. Oh, shit, right. Seven, <laughs> eight su- this one you should get. 7-8 suited versus 8-king off, all in pre-flop. Does 7-8 suited have 38% equity, 40% equity, or 42% equity? What's the other hand? Ace-king off? Ace-king off against 7-8 suited. 42%. Correct. <laughs> he's on the board, one out of three. Which Norwegian player famously won an online 180-person tournament in 2007 without looking at hole cards? Oh, Annette Oberstad. Correct. Uh, who has the most Hendon Mob caches? Chris Dowling or Big Mick G? Oh, Jesus. Chris Dowling. It's not. It's oh, Big Mick G with 42. Sorry, Chris only Dick. has 39. Sorry, we thought you uh, might, That's tough we, now. Come we, on. We thought that might fool some people. Um, <laughs> which WSOP main event champion said, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser? Um, oh, I haven't got a scoob. He's like someone old, yeah? Um, oh, yeah, Jamie <laughs> or dead, Gold. Or dead. Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, Chip Reese. I'm no. afraid not. It, it no, was Stu Unger. Oh, Last right. question. Oh, On June 23rd, 2013, Tom Kitt won a $400 deep stack in Vegas for 67K. How many players were in the field? 1,094. I'm afraid it was 939. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but listen, not, not too bad, not too bad. Actually, I think it was pretty bad. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. but thank you very much uh, for taking the, part. Just a minute, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say thank you very much for coming in. That no was, worries. That, that was great to have you. And uh, Die Trying is going to be playing us out. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Listen to the words. Die Th- Trying, man. Thanks a million times, Kit. <laughs> <laughs> Desperately wanting you by my side To be my baby A Sunday afternoon The talking is cheap and it's a pack of lies She called the lady to see you soon It's hard sometimes To get your goal straight Find your way And I miss my best friend 
Walking in circles and we're holding strangers' hands Feeling comfy, but not for long Waiting for someone come and hit you with the plan But then no one's gonna hear your song It's hard sometimes to get your goal straight Find your way And I miss my best friend Got a one-way ticket Flew away Don't try to hide Keep on playing Keep on winning It hurts inside Gotta keep on playing, keep on winning, or die.
I'd like to say a big thank you to JP, Willie and of course Tom. We'll be back with you next Monday when we'll be checking in on the results from the Norwegians. Fergal Nealon will be bringing us a roundup of all the action from the Connacht Open and our guests will be poker pro Chris Dowling and the Irish Poker Rankings very own Kieran Cooney. From the two Daras and myself, good night and good luck. (laughs) 